0: And then my dance is where I really—how do I feel this in my body? If I really knew that every single second of my life, God was watching. He was—he loved me. He was holding me. He was connecting with me. He was guiding me, talking to me, communicating me through every single second of my life. How would I feel if I really knew that? How would I feel?
1: Hello there, I'm Tanya, and you're listening to Episode 4, Season 2 of Human and Holy, a podcast where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Aliza Felig, the Ili Nishmas Rabbi Shimi Reichick. May the learning done through today's episode be an aliyah for his nishama. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. In today's episode, I interview Devori Nussbaum about the psychological phenomenon of Das, the life-changing knowing that we are a part of something beyond ourselves, that everything is connected, and that God's reality can be ours. Devori is a psychotherapist with private practice, an integrative nutritionist, an energy practitioner, and a teacher. Weaving together principles of the human psyche, Hasidic philosophy, and her own experience, Devori brings us a fascinating, grounding perspective on how we can integrate an understanding of God's presence into the pulse of our physical bodies.
0: Hi, my name is Devori Nussbaum, and I am a psychotherapist. I also run retreats, I teach Hasidus and psychology together, and I have a very holistic approach, understanding how the mind and the body work together as like a cohesive unit. I work a lot with trauma. And one of the things that happens with trauma is that you have a very strong mind and body disconnect. So what that means is that you may really understand in your mind logically, like, I love my kids to bits, you know, I really want the best for them. But then when they're doing something, I have an instinctive response where I just will yell at them or I'll become withdrawn or, and then I'll be able to hate myself for it. Like, what's the matter with me? Like, why did I do that? You know, and this begins a whole big fight internally and struggle and what happens based on that is that there becomes like lots of things of shame and guilt and self-doubt and all of these things and it's a really big struggle that most people live with what i've really studied is the connection between the mind and the body and so to start with i'll just give an understanding of psychology and then an understanding of Hasidus of what this connection is so according to Hasidus, the body is the vessel it's the container for the soul but our bodies contain a huge amount of information. And there are people who've studied this. I'm sure the listeners have heard of Deepak Chopra. Some people have. He's an endocrinologist. so He studied a lot about the brain and how thoughts affect the body. And how he actually said that they've discovered that every single thought a person has creates a neuropeptide in the brain. Now, a neuropeptide is an actual thing that can be measured and is physical and it's a chemical. It's a communication chemical and it's a transmitter and it sends information to all the other parts of the body, okay? Including the immune system and including the gut and the heart and the liver and Everything communicates with everything within the body. He says the body is not really a structure. It is more like a river of flowing chemicals and how everything on a microscopic level is changing every single second within the body. And we don't see it because our eyes can't pick it up. But if you looked under a microscope, if you looked at the brain, every single millisecond is shifting and changing and like it's a whole dynamic process going on. And so he has famously said that really we are not bodies that have learned to think, but with thoughts that have learned to run a body, right? Like we're much more soul than we are body. And he's saying that science is backing this up now, which is very interesting. And he has studied things like spontaneous remissions and what it is about the power of thought and people who heal from diseases based on their belief systems, which is a very interesting, fascinating subject. So we're going to talk a little bit more about his thoughts later, but in this process of my discovery between the body and the soul, I also came across something where the Frida explains that the nefesh is connected with the nervous system. He says this in the De Berem, the fifth book of the De Burm. He says the nefesh is connected with the nervous system of the person, and this is why we have such a thing called phantom limb pain, which means if somebody, let's say, has a limb amputated because it's diseased, the person can still feel pain in that limb of the body, which is something that science has been baffled by for so long. He talks about it like right then, the côté de Burum. He explains the reason why is because even if the body is defected, the soul can never become defected. The soul is always absolutely whole and complete. And all of the powers within the body actually come from the soul. So the power of sight, the power to hear, the power everything is in the soul, and then it just manifests through a specific part of the body. So It's interesting because now we can see this through people who are deaf, right? You can get brain implants that allow deaf people to hear. So it's not the ears that cause the hearing, right? They say it's the brain. And we know that the soul manifests primarily in the brain and it sends messages throughout the body, but you can actually bypass the ears and allow a person to heal due to this understanding nowadays. And have also very, very early sciences around being able to do this with other parts of the body as well, being able to get paralyzed limbs to move. And they're working on something with sight, you know, to be able to get blind people to see in whatever way. I'm not sure how that's going to work, but this is something that's really fascinating. So what we're understanding from these little things that I've just bought is that the soul, primarily the human soul, the instinctive soul of the person, the personality of the person in Tanya, the ultimate explains that the person we identify as is the instinctive or animal soul the human soul of the person and that's our personality everything about us everything about us is in that soul so it's not just you know when we're little and we think about like what's my soul like i one of my kids said this to me recently oh, i have a little shiny like egg in my chest <laughs> my soul. and then there's me right really i am my soul right. like i am my soul everything about me is all different aspects of my soul. And our soul is made up of 10 different faculties. We have three different ways of thinking, and we have seven different ways of feeling. And primarily there's one bridge between them. There's one bridge between my thoughts and my feelings. And when there's a disconnect between thoughts and feelings, it means that there's a lack of development or there's a piece missing in Hasidus we call that das. in psychology we call that prefrontal cortex function okay interesting so what is this what is this das? this is um, something that's very interesting and I've come across it in many many contexts in different ways so I wanted to just kind of read a few different sources and then we can like put them together and like pick them out and discuss them because I think they really give a very full rounded idea of like, what is this secret bridge between my brain and my body and my instinctive reactions?
2: I just want to point out, I think it's so interesting that you speak about the soul communicating through the body, because in we do speak about how the godly soul can't communicate with the world without the body. I mean, it's Scientific, but it's also just simply like in order for the godly soul to be expressed in a physical world, it needs the body. So, discovering that connection is really important.
0: Right, right, absolutely. Understanding how and, to express our soul. And in Lukati de Burham, the Friedrich Reb also explains that when Mashiach comes, our body actually will give information to our soul. And the whole idea of Dira Batakhtonim is that really, you know, we talk about Dira Batakhtonim being a home for Hashem in the lower world, but that's on a broader level, like, you know, making this world a place where God feels comfortable, but doing it personally, becoming at home in my own body, that's personal inner Dira becoming at home inside of my own body, and how many people use the terms, I'm uncomfortable in my own skin. I'm uncomfortable in my own skin is something that everybody experiences at some point in their life. And that means my nervous system is not regulated, my emotions are all over the place, whether it's anxiety or whether it's shame or whether it's guilt, confusion, doubt. It's like literally feels like there's a river of chaos and movement happening in my body. And I don't like the feeling and I want to pop out, either dissociate, do something to distract myself. I don't want to be here. And the more feelings or thoughts of self-hate that come in, the more I'll disassociate and remove myself from the picture which is something that I'm sure everybody can relate to. And what's so interesting about this concept of das is that there's a mima that is called Ani where it really breaks down the concept of what das is. And this is just, in summary, a few points that the Rebbe brings about what actually the definition of das is. So the first thing he says about das is it's the source of compassion. If you imagine things flowing down like a waterfall, it's the source that the top of the waterfall for compassion is das, So it's the source of compassion. It's the ability to choose the capacity for any person to have free choice about anything. It cannot be taught to someone. You cannot teach it. It's not information. It's about felt sense in the body. It's a recognition in the body. It's a real knowing, like an, I get it. I feel it. And you know, when you really feel a topic, you really feel a concept, but like you can't really explain it to someone else. You're like trying to tell it to them and they're like, "Uh uh-huh, okay, I get it. But you know, they don't really get it because they're not as excited as you and they're not as on fire as you because they didn't really get it. They got it in theory, like they got it in their Bina, which is analytical understanding, or they got it in their Chochmah, which is much more of an open space where, where I receive information, but I haven't yet really understood it or made it my own, right? But it's like an open space where we receive. But this does is when you actually get something and you actually integrate it to the point where the penny drops and you're like, wow, now I understand what that's talking about. It's also able to hold all the sides and see the bigger picture, see all perspectives, and yet it's above all of them. So it can see the desire inside of a person. It can see the judgment inside of the person, but it's not swayed by that. It's a kind of very neutral position where it stands and it says, aha I see you want that. I see that you don't like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. It comes from that observing, interested place curious place it's self-awareness and one of the reasons why the understanding we have to understand is that in order for a person to actually do to shiva to shiva meaning reconnection with myself with the deeper parts of myself i.e a piece of god like reconnect with who i truly am i have to have compassion on myself I have to, because without compassion, I have no self-awareness. I have no capacity to actually see what's going on within me if I'm going to judge me. Now, some people really don't know what compassion is. We hear the word compassion, and we're like, okay, what's compassion? In very simple terms, the compassion is seeing something, becoming really aware of it, being very present with it, but without any judgment whatsoever. Like just, ah, oh, okay, I see. I understand. I understand. That's what compassion is. It's, and it's full presence. Like I'm, I'm willing to be here in this moment with this thing. I'm not going to fly off or like say, okay, I see. You. I don't want that. Or like, It's absolute presence without judgment.
2: Can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. I'm wondering if the, we're, you're sort of speaking about an interaction that we have with ourselves. Yes, right. Like if you're going to be approaching yourself with compassion, then you're interacting with yourself. Would you say that that's the body and the soul interacting with each other? What would you say is interacting in that instance?
0: If we're coming from the mindset or the understanding that the soul, especially the lower parts of the soul, like the nefesh, which are much more, much more connected with the emotional part of the soul, that is actually the whole driving force of the body. So if I'm doing anything with my physical body, it's because there is a feeling or an emotion that's driving it. We would talk about the chaotic emotions, or the emotions of toihu, which is the chaos, the chaotic emotions within which are stored within the cellular memory of my body, and then the logical understanding of my mind where I have clarity about things. And when I'm looking with compassion, I'm able to have contact with my chaotic emotions and actually heal them and help them to create order, which is tikka. So that's really the flow. Our bodies are looking to our souls for information our souls are huge. They're not spatially confined to our body. They're in every single cell of our body. Every single part of our DNA has a piece of our soul expressed within it, right? Everything alive about us is a soul. And it's like exactly like if you put a hand in a glove and the glove can't move without your hand moving. So everything, if, if there's any chemistry or hormonal things going on inside of my body, if my muscles are working or not working or organs in my body are working or not, it's all my soul. It's all my soul. Now, if there are parts of my body that are it's because there's been a fragmentation there's been a disconnect of some sort and this is something really fascinating that I came across in a book called body-centered psychotherapy by Ron Kurtz he actually points this out which is so fascinating because it's just written straight in but what he says is that the primary and most destructive illusion is the false distinction between self and other self here doesn't even mean you're a person or a body or anything like that It means you perceive and live a basic separateness. This is the primal lie. In order for us to keep that primal lie going, he says we need encoders. And these encoders are basically all of our senses, including touch. And basically they give information to our senses and our senses interpret it. And we see each other as separate objects because we see through our eyes and because we have learned to think of ourselves and others in that way. And this incumbents us to be able to see truth that we're all connected and then he says we go on further to separate ourselves in our mind body separation and between different parts of the mind so mind and mind mind and body and it begins with this kind of separation between me and the outside world and other people around me and according to chassidus and if we learn shariya we understand that actually Everything is deeply connected in this world. Everything is Hashem. And we are all one with Hashem. And we all live within the rhythm of this oneness. We live within Hashem's mind. We're completely unified with our source. But the source of all of our pain in life is that primal lie of I am separate. It's a primary klipa. In Tanya, the Alt-Rebbe explains, klipa, meaning a shell or a covering over. It's the first piece of information that we all come into the world with as I'm separate. And then from that, because I'm separate, so then I think that it might be possible for me to be worthless, or it might be possible for me to not have enough value, or it might be possible for me to have to prove myself. And from that, I develop all the survival strategies I'll ever use in my life, whether I create a persona for myself or I create a story I tell myself about myself and I live that out because I'm just trying to protect myself from the primal fear of being disconnected from my source,
2: right? So you define Das as a felt sense in the body, which I loved that definition. So then, by extension, Das right here means that the body can actually sense the soul in a physical way.
0: Yes. And Maslow, I don't know if you've heard of Maslow, Abraham Maslow, he was the original person who studied positive psychology and he has this Maslow triangle and he has like a peak experience at the top, you know, he says that we have this hierarchy of needs and at the top, there's this peak experience. And he, the way he defined peak experience, you're going to be blown away by this. It's it's, it's, it's the unity of Hashem. This is how he describes it. I wanted to read this to you because this is just like so amazing. He was saying that he, he was working with two patients. One was suicidal and One was so debilitatingly anxious, and he says that psychologist Abraham Maslow, who was a pioneer in studying the positive aspects of human personality, gave a classic description of the experience of the deep self. These moments were of pure positive happiness, when all doubts, all fears, all inhibitions, all tensions, all weaknesses were left behind. Now self-consciousness was lost. All separateness and distance from the world disappeared. And although such experiences are rare, Maslow termed them peak experiences for that reason. They have a curative power that goes far beyond their brief duration, which may be a few days or just a few hours. Maslow records that two of his patients, one a long-term depressive who had often considered suicide, the other a person who suffered from severe anxiety attacks, were both immediately and permanently cured after spontaneously falling into such experiences. Maslow also talks about the reconciliation with life that people have realized through these moments. They felt one with the world, fused with it, really belonging to it. Instead of being outside looking in, I felt like a member of a family, not an orphan. It's just unbelievable. These people, what he's saying is that they really danced, they really felt in their body this experience of oneness of Hashem. That's the experience they had and it absolutely changed their whole way of seeing the world. And in Chassidus, in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe talks all about the idea, of you have to you have to use your DAS. You have to concentrate, contemplate on things a long time until you really get it and then it will transform you. But uh, my whole schooling, I never once was taught, what does it mean to apply your DAS? We keep learning about it, like apply your DAS, apply your DAS, think about it in the deep level, but like, hey, what, what does that mean even in practicality and like, how does that work? So I Mm spent a long time trying to figure that out and understanding that when somebody has a very deep recognition of a topic, it can actually transform them on an emotional level in such a deep way, like what Maslow was describing. The two other places that I wanted to point out is that When Moshe came to the Jewish people, and this is in Shemois, and he told them, I'm going to come and take you out of Litzrayim. um, He gave them a whole speech to say, I'm going to come and Hashem's heard of your trauma and he's heard your pain and he's heard your cry and he's coming to rescue you. And he says that the people could not hear him because of Ruach, which is shortness of breath. Now, if you're looking at the brain, psychologically speaking, when a person's in a state of fight, flight and freeze mode, So we have to understand, we have like two modes of being, fight, flight, and freeze, which means that I'm in a state of fear and disconnect. And then you have relaxed joyfulness, which is in, I'm a state of open, expanded. And the main difference between the two is that, When you're in a fight, flight, freeze mode, half of your brain shuts down and also many functions in your body shut down as well. Your digestive system, your reproductive system, parts of your liver function, they all shut down in order for the person to use whatever resources they have, whatever energy they have to go to their arms and their legs (laughs) to run away or to protect themselves or save themselves on some level. The prefrontal cortex part of the brain is the part of the brain that is able to see other perspectives, to think, to have self-awareness. To breathe slower you know all of these things and this is what we're talking about is the dust part of the brain now when a person is in the amygdala part of the brain the fight flight and freeze part of the brain that's where they have no emotional control at all they instinctively react they don't logically react it's absolute they're completely hijacked it would say hijacked by the fear or the survival mode within the body so one of the bridges And one of the ways to regulate the nervous system and bring the prefrontal cortex back online is mainly through the breath. And the reason being is that most things in the body are either automatic, like you don't have any logical or mental control over if you're allergic to something or not. I mean, actually, some people say you do, and on some deeper level, you might. But how your digestive system works, or if your body creates this hormone or that hormone, Like these kind of things are automatic, your body does them anyway. But then you have stuff like standing up and walking across the room Mm -hmm. that your body doesn't just do it for you. You never just get to stand up and walk across the room unless you logically think I want to stand up and walk across the room. But breathing is one of those things that is both. So if you're not consciously choosing to breathe or hold your breath or breathe in a different way, so your body will breathe you. Like the whole time you're sleeping, your body's breathing you, but then you can choose to change the way you breathe. You can choose to hold your breath. And so what it does is it, it sends information to the automatic nervous system, the autonomic nervous system to tell it that it's safe. Because when we're safe, we breathe deeply and we breathe slowly, especially our out breaths. And when we're in danger, we, we breathe very short and shallow. And this idea that when a person is in fear, they're in survival mode. So they're breathing shallowly. And if somebody comes along and tells them, you know, I have a solution for you. They're like, go away. I don't want to hear your solution. I'm not interested. If you're upset and angry and someone says, don't worry, you don't have to be angry. They don't care. It's like so irrelevant because they're like in it. And so there's no choice, really. There's no way of like kind of getting out of it unless we understand practically, how do you regulate your nervous system? And regulating your nervous system, turning on your prefrontal cortex is primarily through using our dust, which is having compassion on ourselves, becoming curious, noticing, looking, watching, breathing differently and becoming really aware of why you're feeling things in your body and watching it. <laughs> I'm really just watching it. And so, you know, there's different people, like, for example, Bessel van der Kolk in The Body Keeps the Schools. So he writes that knowing what you know and feeling what you feel are the key to healing without those, without knowing what's going on in your body, all the visceral responses and reactions, you cannot possibly heal your body. In another posse later on, it talks about the Jews in the desert being very stressed. And it says they had like despair because they were distressed. And in Russia, he says it's because their das was not expanded enough to hold their pain. That's the words that Rashi uses, which is also fascinating. He's explaining this concept of like the das not being there to hold the pain. And the Baal Shemtov says in Keshe Shemtov, he talks about the fact that. When we're in, in immature consciousness, which he calls cutness, smallness, it's because we are unaware of what's going on. And basically, in order for a person to heal, they have to first become aware. That's the first step to healing any kind of spiritual illness. And spiritual just means soul, and soul just means everything about you, emotions and psyche. So, in order to be able to heal any part of ourselves, we need to become aware of it. And these are just all some sources that I've come across that really define this idea. Just becoming really aware of what's going on is like the beginning healing of all of this. So that's really in a nutshell.
2: In a small nutshell. Yeah. I love how you said that the awareness, the noticing, that's the beginning of the fusion of the body and the soul, where they could right. begin to speak in the same language. Because I think a lot of us, you said this at the beginning, and I chuckled, but when I think about it, I'm like, so many people actually have this visual of the soul as this shiny egg in my chest that doesn't necessarily manifest itself as me, but it's the spark of God that I have inside of me that's sort of separate from me. Right. I'd love to hear in your experience, when this fusion between body and soul that you could really feel in a visceral human way began to manifest in your life?
0: So I had an eating disorder as a teenager and I spent, I think it was about four years from the age of 14 to the age of 18, absolutely hating myself trying to hate myself into submission to order myself, to control myself. So I had learned a lot of Hasidus. I'd learned about Hiskafia, and I'd learned about how to control yourself. And I'd learned about, you know, in Pirkei, obviously, it says, like, the more flesh, the more worms. And like, there's all of these things that I had learned. And I've got this information in my head that like, my eating disorder consisted of starving myself for long periods of time and then binge eating. I loved it when I starved myself, I was in control. And it was amazing. But then I would like lose it all completely. And I like just eat everything that was in my path. And I feel so self disgusted. And nothing every time I promised myself, I'm never doing that again boom, I did it again. Like I had no control over it. So the first time I came across this idea of compassion, all of this self-hate never, never worked, never got me anywhere at all. But I kept looking for an answer because I was just so devastated and distraught by like this inner process I was going through. And I came across a book called, When You Eat at the Refrigerator, Pull Up a Chair. It's a great book, (laughs) great book. But in the title, If you think about when you eat at the refrigerator, pull up a chair, it just defines compassion. When you're doing the stuff anyway, you don't want to do, at least be aware and be kind to yourself, right? Pull up a chair, you know, like be present. And it's a great little book. And I read it. It was literally the first time I'd ever heard of such a thing as self-compassion. I read it and I was like, oh my gosh, I can actually treat myself differently. I can actually ask myself with curiosity, like, why am I doing this? Like, what's driving my behavior? I must have a good reason for this. There must be a pain inside of mm. me. There must be something inside of me that's driving this behavior. It can't possibly be that I'm just a disgusting human being. And I started getting curious about myself. I started wondering, like, and I started noticing what am I feeling in my body? And like, why am I feeling this now? And like, what are these urges all about? And that awareness was the beginning of my healing. There was many stages after that, but that was like literally a transformative point. Like, I actually learned there was another way, another way of, of connecting with myself.
2: And I've used it ever Mm -hmm. since. How would you say that that compassion is what sparked the shift to understanding the connection between your internal self and motives and then your behavior?
0: So I started noticing that the more curious and the more compassionate I came towards myself, the more choice and self-leadership I had. Mm-hmm. So I started studying inner child work and I started studying also the kind of work with body listening, where you're able to hear different voices from inside of your body. Really it's hearing emotions, like feeling in my body, where do I feel this, you know, that same feeling anxious So where do I feel the anxiety and imagining there was like a little me, like just kind of going down in my body to sit next to that part and to have a conversation, like just poke it and say like, Hey, what's up? And see what would happen. Sometimes it would just roar back, go away. And sometimes it would be like, I'm really sad and lonely and like, I just want to hug. So I just like put my arm around it, you know, and I just was playing with it. It was like this fun, curious, almost like a cartoon character I had inside my head that would go exploring around my body and like figure things out. And I started noticing all sorts of things about me. I had a fear of abandonment. I think that was the reason why that came up now is because that was the first thing I realized. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm really scared of being abandoned. I was like, I never knew that about myself. (laughs) I had many more re- realizations since but I remember that one specifically because I remember where I was when I had it. Recently I had a scenario where my kids were all jumping on the couches and like they were like really really wild and I felt like literally my anxiety in my stomach was like clenching and I was like oh my gosh it's really normal and age-stage age appropriate for my kids to be jumping on the couch so why am I bothered so much about this? And I was feeling the feeling and I asked myself this question is it an old feeling is it a new feeling? And it was like, no, this is an old feeling. I felt it before. So I asked myself the question, when is the earliest time? I remember feeling this feeling. And I had this image that came into mind where I was like sitting in a classroom and I was about six or seven years old and all the kids were like wild and hyper and jumping around the classroom. And I was like sitting there at my desk, and I was like really scared because, like, I wanted the kids to just sit down and behave. <laughs> I was like, but I couldn't say anything. They were all my friends, and and I couldn't. I had it was completely helpless to do anything. And I was I was so anxious because the teacher was my father and I really wanted them to respect him and I also knew that if they didn't behave much longer he'd start taking away break time from them or punishing them in other ways and then they'd hate him and then they'd all make fun of me in the playground because like oh your father's a really awful teacher and that, you know like what kids do and so all this anxiety was building on the side of me because these kids jumping around and I realized I was like oh my gosh I'm terrified of my kids jumping on the couch right now because it's reminding me of this fear that I had then and so I kind of just walk towards that little girl, you know, I come in imagination and I gave her a hug and I spoke to her and I, you know, we had a whole dialogue around it and it completely like shifted something internally. There was like a huge sense of relief and my kids jumping on the couch, no problem. It was just, you know, fine after that. So that's just one example, but I do that like a lot. I've been able to do that a lot just based on these tools of understanding This just using your DAS, really feeling
2: and connecting and having compassion and becoming aware. When you speak about listening to your body, it's a term that I've heard, but not a term that I really understand. What do you mean when you say listening to your body? Because you don't mean listening to your soul. You mean specifically listening to your body, asking your body questions and letting it answer. So if, if the body is holding a memory, how does the body communicate that to you?
0: Okay. So it is actually listening to the soul because the soul is deeply connected like yeah. with the nervous system of the body and with all the cells of the body. It's really listening. It's using my DAS to listen to my fragmented and chaotic emotions of Toy Okay, that's what I'm doing really. And they are sitting within the cells of my body. And so the way that I find them, the way that I find them, because it's not always like easy to, to contact them, <laughs> like to get in touch with them, is I notice where in my body am I feeling this feeling? <laughs> And there's always very distinct places. Very common, we you know anxiety feels like butterflies in the chest, okay? That's a very something that most people can relate to. But people have all sorts of feelings all over their bodies, in different parts of their bodies. And whenever we feel a certain way, our bodies respond in a very visceral way. So let's say I'm scared, my heart will start beating faster, right? And therefore, the chemistry and all the hormonal... Balance in my body will shift straight away. I'll have more cortisol, I'll have less dopamine. Um, it's pumping all around my blood. That means every part of my body, which has the same blood flowing through every part of my body, is getting the message We're in danger, we're in danger, we're in danger. This is happening, this is completely hijacking my whole body. It says in Tanya about the idea that each soul wants to have control over the city. You know, the body being the city and the two kings, the godly soul and the animal soul. The animal soul truly has absolute control over your body. Like, the godly soul is within the animal soul, which is within the body. It's like unless the godly soul is contacted and it, it kind of regains power over the body. Like the examples I gave you of like the experience that that person had, the Maslow's experience where it absolutely healed them is because their godly soul gained complete control over their body or the experience they had was of one of absolute unity in Achtes Hashem, which actually permeated every cell of their body and took complete control, which shifted things for them for life. So listening to my body means really listening to the very, very deep and chaotic and subconscious emotions that are sitting within my body.
2: So I'm trying to put the dots together. Choosing the new belief system is choosing to live according to the belief system of the godly soul, because the godly soul speaks through the body. We are trying to access the godly soul's wisdom to actually interact with our body. I understand the idea of speaking to your body, recognizing like your body's subconscious beliefs or experiences, and then how does that bridge the body and the soul? How does that make someone feel their soul on a human level?
0: Okay, so in Tanya, it says that my godly soul is surrounded by my animal soul, which is surrounded by my body, and that's where I identify as my animal soul, okay? But really, truly, my godly soul manifests inside of my conscious thoughts in my mind, right? And then it can trickle down into my heart. It can move downward. Whereas my animal soul starts in my body as emotions and experiences, and then it moves up into my head to, to interpret and make sense and stories about it, right? So I'll have an experience, I'll feel an emotion, and then as a ba- as a child, as a toddler, or whatever, when I'm developing, and then I'll, I'll develop a thought process to explain that feeling. So I want my mother, she's not available, I feel abandoned, and then, then I'll make an, a, a reason why I'm abandoned. Oh, my mother doesn't love me anymore that's just a very general example but we do that the whole time because in order for us to feel safe we have to make stories about things then we can control and predict them and we can understand why they happen but most of the stories we make up are absolute false are not based on anything in reality they're just based on like a need to have an answer and not having so much information godly soul consciousness is I learn information I actually learn from the sources of the Torah the reality that I am never alone Hashem is always with me everything is divinely pro- like meant to be Everything that I experience here and see is an opportunity for me to grow and learn. Our souls are deeply connected with each other. And there's no stories when it comes to our souls. Our souls are confident, they're light, they're joyful, they are expanded. So when I see another person, all I see is their joy and their light and their love. And I don't see all the stories about like their low self-esteem and their annoying things and what they do and what I like about them and I don't like about them. So I just can relate to them as an open, pure kind of soul. So. In order for me to actually feel that in my body, I need, it needs to have an impact on my midas. It has to have an impact on like my emotional state that's embedded in my cellular memory. So I have to start by, first of all, learning that information. I have to start by actually understanding this in- logically, right? Which would be under- in my Chochmah and my Bina. My Chochmah actually, which is so interesting because Chochmah is koyachma, the power of what? It's a power to be open and curious and to stand in the face of whatever I'm experiencing and say, wow, look at that. So it actually has some things that are, very in line with uh, similar to das in the sense it's open and curious it just kind of stands and it watches the emotions and it's like oh wow but it doesn't have a story chachma doesn't have a story it's just this open and curious place it's also bittal when i say bittal the definition i'm using is that it doesn't have a preconceived notions of how things should be so it's not coming mm-hmm. from the glasses of how i perceive myself in the world and how people perceive me it's just i'm open i don't know like, I'm curious, wow, this is interesting. <laughs> like, I don't have an emotional story behind it. And then I've, I've been, uh, where I understand something. I learn a new piece of information. I understand it logically, mm. it makes sense to me. And then my dance is where I really, how do I feel this in my body? If I really knew that every single second of my life, God was watching, He was. he loved me, he was holding me, he was connecting with me, he was guiding me, talking to me, communicating me through every single second of my life, how would I feel? If I really knew that, how would I feel? And to spend time thinking and asking that question, if this was a reality for me, if I really experienced this as a reality, how would I feel? Do I want this to be my reality? Do I want to walk through life feeling these feelings? And to spend time actually noticing, what would I feel? Feel it in your body, focus on that feeling, deepen and expand it so that you feel like it spreads throughout your whole body and really have a visceral experience of it, that is transformative. That's really transformative. That's not just like, in the words of the Altareba, like vain fancies in the mind of like, oh, wow, it's so inspiring. I know Hashem is everywhere with me. But then when I miss the bus, I'm like, oh, no, this is awful. <laughs> That's how we live a lot of the time. We live with this Big gap between what I know. I could be so inspired. This is also what it talks about, in Tanya. We can be so inspired by things. We can be diving and learning and feel, really feel this, and then the next minute it goes away, and that's okay. That's also okay. That's the service of the one who struggles. That's the service of the average person. Is is that? And it doesn't mean that that moment when you really felt it, it wasn't true, because it was true. Because it's the best you can do, and it does have an impact, even if it's a tiny amount. Tiny amounts over long periods of time create big amounts, and it starts to really change the way you yourself in the world and experience yourself in the world on a very deep level
2: it's really interesting because when i think of the godly reality influencing the way that i'm perceiving the physical reality i recognize my ability to change my self-perception the perception of what i'm experiencing now when someone's experiencing a physical reality that they cannot heal with their mind be it physical pain or any emotional suffering that despite the fact that they want to access, let's say, the deeper godly reality where everything that occurs in this world is good, on a, they want to experience that reality on a human level. How would you say you can access that even when the physical reality cannot be changed? How do you actually transfer that to your physical human experience?
0: Right. So you start with, where do I feel the pain in my body? I feel hurt, really hurt, here in my chest. It aches, it hurts, and I just sit with that. That's my dust straight away, my self-awareness and my compassion, the source of compassion. I don't try and, and change it and convince it of anything at all whatsoever. Wow, yeah, that was really, really painful. And I become friends with that feeling of pain by moving towards it And having compassion on it, like, yeah, I know it really sucks. It's really hard when that happens. I really don't like it. It's so annoying. If it wants to scream and cry, I watch it scream and cry. That's what my desk can do. can watch the like little kids inside of me, like all my chaotic emotions do their thing, have a tantrum, really let it scream and cry. Talk to it. What bothers you so much about it? What was so hurtful for you about this? What does you want? Ask you ask that question at the end, only at the end, once you've done a, quite a bit of compassion, they're saying, well, what do you want? I want to be loved. I want to be seen. I want to be heard. Okay. So how can you get that? How can you get that in a way that actually is healing for you and wholesome for you and not in a way where you have to like convince people to like you or in a way that, you know, all the stuff that you're tired of doing, how can you get it in like a wholesome way? And you have the dialogue with it. You open up the dialogue. And sometimes you use information that you've learned from Chassilis or you learn from Torah to give it perspective. If it asks you for its opinion, right? Because you cannot win an argument by arguing. And if you give someone advice before they want it, they're not interested in hearing it. Same thing with our midders. They don't want to hear what we have to say in our intellect until we first opened up the relationship and we connected with them. And then they might turn around and say, so what do you think? What do you think the reality is? And then there's an opening for you to say, well, what about this? And to really be with it. And sometimes you have a feeling of internal connection, which is a huge relief and it actually heals and it's so filling, it's so nourishing that it takes away the need for the other person's approval or whatever it is. Sometimes not sometimes you still feel hurt and upset and it might come back 10 times 20 times and every time you just sit and hold and eventually what happens is, is that you realize that it's okay for me to feel this feeling of shame I remember doing that with shame there was a certain situation that I was in a lot that I kept feeling shame about and every time I sat with it and I was like wow so much shame I feel it coming up my like from my stomach up to my chest this like warm wash of like oh my gosh and I just watch it, and like gosh this much shame i feel so much shame and just say that to myself wow look how much shame there is and like just like feel it like really feel it and then after doing that about like t- t- 10 20 times i started realizing i'm bigger than my shame it's okay for me to feel shame because i'm not my shame and it's just feeling that goes through my body because there's parts of me that don't yet know how worthy it is and how valuable it is in the world and it's getting there slowly i'm integrating that information it doesn't just happen like that but just the capacity, the permission to feel, the feeling with my das online not like just the, the chaos and then like the arguing back and forth that's really just like a bunch of kids chaotic emotions just arguing with each other but really with that the source of compassion really being present in my body self awareness breathing through holding space for and then there's little openings that occur for the information to drop in through that process
2: i like that that if you if you share it before your emotions are ready then you've kind of lost your chance.
0: <laughs> oh, you just end First up with All you end up with is guilt. Right. Because it's yeah, like, you it's see, so I even know I'm not supposed to yell at my kids and I yelled at my kids. What's wrong with me? Like you just end up in that, like literally ends up in such a spiral of like going down and then you get even more shut off from your body and less control of yourself. You end up shouting at them more because you're feeling so shut down, you know, and it just absolutely prepared, like continues that whole thing.
2: It reminds me of what you said about your eating disorder, that that constant spiral that was happening because you never wondered if there was anything inside of you that was leading you to act this way, but you were just attacking yourself with guilt whenever the binge happened. So any behaviors that we have where we binge or we lose it, if we don't ever stop to question with compassion, then there's no space really for a new story to enter that allows us to change our pattern.
0: Right, I didn't even know there was a story. The only story in my head was like, I'm disgusting. I have no control over myself. I'm a, a horrible, despicable human being. And therefore, I have to withdraw from society. No one's ever going to want to be my friend. <laughs> That's literally the wow. story of myself. Um, wow. And I did withdraw. I, I really withdrew socially. I didn't really have a, like, a lot of friends. And the ones I did have, I had this whole persona where I was like, I don't need anyone. That was my survival strategy. That's how I survived. That's mm. how I coped. Because at least then I wasn't going to hurt anyone else's feelings because I was already so hurting inside. And I only realized that when I started actually questioning, like with curiosity, like, wow, what is that? But if I would have questioned with judgment, like, what is that? Like, what's the matter with you? I never would have got any answers. So I had to come from a place of, of compassion, which would be das. Whereas questioning with judgment would be coming from Gavura. Oh, yeah, fragmented and chaotic Gavura would be the judgment.
2: Where would you say that you are currently struggling with this body-soul connection, if you would be willing to share?
0: So all the time I'm learning new things about myself it doesn't mean that i don't still have struggles on a daily basis emotionally but the difference is between now and then is that now i know what to do with my pain and i welcome it i welcome it as a friend of like now it's not op- this is an opportunity for me to meet a part of myself i didn't know it's an opportunity for me to grow there's an opportunity for me to connect there's an opportunity for me to heal this is great it's rather than like oh my gosh what's wrong with me why am i still struggling with this i'm such like i'm such a failure as a person as a mother I understand the process so well, and it's almost exciting for me because I'm like, okay, wow, where is this going to take me? I wonder. And that's really the difference. Not that this is, the struggle hasn't changed. It's the same struggle, but it's become easier because I know how to do it, and it's become easier because I don't have any judgments on the struggle. It doesn't mean anything about me. It just means I'm human. It means I have an animal soul, I have a body. My animal soul tells me information about the world through my senses, that I'm disconnected from things and I'm not part of this one unified source. And I have to have compassion on it, understand it. And then feed it new information based on what I learn and what I know. And slowly,
2: slowly getting there. I love the way that you are approaching your human soul from such an empowered place because we get to know our human soul so that we can teach it a deeper reality that it can also experience. So if for whatever reason, any circumstance that the human soul has experienced, it's therefore reacting in a certain way in certain situations, like you just mentioned, then this information empowers me to be able to train it to react in a different way based on a deeper story that exists within me.
0: Right, and in many places in Hasidus it explains that this is the entire purpose of Hasidus is to transform the middas. The entire purpose of Hasidus is to transform the animal soul, and not necessarily in one go that like completely, because that would be the work of the tzaddik, but to work with it. The goal is not to run away from it and spend your whole time just like learning and, you know, doing, you know, mitzvahs. And that's also great, but we have to also work with ourselves as people. And this is how we make an internal dira and like a place where every part of my cell, every part of my body is also a vessel that's able to receive divine wisdom. My body being my seven minutes, I would say that our body is our seven minutes, other than the actual physical tissue. And even the physical tissue is atma's Hashem. It comes from a higher source than the soul itself, because everything on a spiritual level comes down to the world through cause and effect, whereas the physical matter of this world comes down to the world through Hashem himself, yesh may I, and something from nothing. Everything that's created holds something of its maker, and physical matter says I exist. I exist, like I'm here. Right, and that's God saying, "I exist. I'm here." <laughs> There's that point there. So that the the whole point is that we transform the physical matter of the world through the soul, and then the physical matter of the world will be able to reveal to us what it's known all along. And like I said, you know earlier, that the body will actually teach the soul. The body will teach the soul about Hashem, <laughs> which is a fascinating concept. I, I've always wondered about that. Like we're teaching our bodies about Hashem through regulating our nervous systems and dousing information like really being able to integrate the concepts through compassion through first meeting what's there not trying to override it but to work with it and become friends with it a way we influence it slowly and then one day our, our bodies will turn around and tell us like we have secrets to tell you too <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm like looking forward to that <laughs> like a very I like um, that i don't know what that will be obviously we don't know but i think the more in touch we get with our bodies the more Embodied, the more we're able to receive and experience to feel alive. Also, there's many sources of psychology that say aliveness is very much connected to the body. the life force energy. And there's so many things. It's all about, like, you know, body in soul. It's not about just, you know, nourishing our souls, but nourishing our bodies too through this process.
2: So, ending off, what tips can you give to anyone starting this journey trying to bring? the experience of their soul closer to the surface of their lived reality.
0: Okay, so number one, do not be afraid of your chaotic emotions. They do not define you. They are not you, but they are coming to give you vital information about your direction of growth. So don't be afraid of them, however strong they might be. If you stand and you watch them and you watch them and you watch them and you're present with them with compassion, as in you're present without judgment, you're not judging yourself for having them. They do pass over. They're like contractions, you know, like they get more and more intense. And then there's a point where they release and then they just, and you're standing and you're saying, okay, I survived that. And the more you experience that, the less afraid you become of them. And they're just literally that they're like little kids tantruming inside of your body. They don't have accurate information. Their information is based on loads of assumptions and loads of stories that you've told yourself throughout your life to get by. And it's not, doesn't mean there's anything wrong with you at all. It's how we all do it. We all have survival strategies. We're all trying to figure out how to live in this world and we have very little information when we're young about like the reality of things and regulating the nervous system is the most helpful thing physically learning how to regulate the nervous system so learning how to breathe like just out breaths, using body awareness and noticing your feet on the floor, what does it feel like when your feet touch the floor, notice your fingers and your hands, notice what touch feels like, you know, if you rub down from your shoulders down to your elbows, notice that physical experience of your skin, so really bring yourself into your body, notice where you feel the feelings and breathe into them, those are some ways of regulating your nervous system, but there's so many more, a physical exercise regulates the nervous system, listening to good music and dancing regulates the nervous system, singing regulates the nervous system, doing something that you love that's Fun regulates the nervous system. And the more you learn that you have the power to regulate your nervous system, and the more time you invest in regulating your nervous system, the more you develop your prefrontal cortex, which means the more you have capacity for choice, the more you have the capacity to notice when you're being dysregulated. You start noticing when you start to feel dysregulated, when you're going there, and you're able to bring yourself back. And therefore, the more I wouldn't say control because I don't, I don't feel like this is about control. This is about leadership because it's not, you know, control kind of comes with those like power struggle, like imagery, like I'm in control, you're in control, but it's more like we're going to work together. Our whole body is like a family, right? We've got like seven kids inside of our body and we've got like three adults. And somehow well, there has to be a leader, a part that's able to hear everyone's perspective, like around a table and say, I hear you, I hear you, I hear you, and this is how we're going to proceed. And that's called self-leadership and to be able to develop that self-leadership. Like we're learning how to regulate the nervous system. We're developing the capacity for self-leadership so that the feelings don't hijack us and make us do things that... We regret later, and we think, like, you know, we still might do things that we regret later. But then the next step is do I continue beating myself up, or do I say, okay, hold on a second, let's get curious. Why did I do that thing that I'm regretting right now? What was happening for me? How can I prevent that happening next time? So, whatever you catch yourself, whatever your self awareness comes back online, you have an opportunity of growth either through to Shiva, which is recognizing where I was, reconnecting with myself, thinking about how I want to do it in the future, or in the moment to be able to have the choice not to do the thing i wanted so either way you have an opportunity for growth you're not losing out either way as soon as you become aware you have an opportunity and when you're not aware so that wasn't your bikhira you know sometimes it says that we fall you know you read the Sarah khalia we fall down in order to grow so stop judging yourself and hating yourself for all your falls and start realizing like it's not about me it's not about like i'm a terrible person or a terrible mother it's about wow, I have an opportunity to learn something about myself and to grow and to bring light into this darkness, this particular darkness and this particular place, which might be a psychological place, an emotional place by just becoming aware that Hashem is here too. Hashem yeah. is in every corner, everywhere, in our body, so he's also in the darkness. And that awareness is like, okay, I'm not alone. I can sit here with God in my darkness and figure out what on earth I'm doing here because there must be a good reason if I was sent here as an ambassador you know, to channel light into this area of my, of the world. So yeah, don't be afraid,
2: Beautiful.
0: have compassion. The more you learn, the learning has been so vital for me. I kind of like the inf- information, the more you read books and learn information, the more empowered you are, just keep learning, keep growing in that area. And you're good. You're a member of, you know, a member of the club. She's, I love it.
2: You know, <laughs> I love it. Regulation is the foundation for true bhikara and true choice. Yes. In a, yes. Yeah. Beautiful.
0: Regulation can only happen through compassion. This is so vital for us to know. It does not happen through right. self hate, guilt, shame, doubt, all of it. It's just through awareness, curiosity,
2: compassion. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thank you so much. Thank, thank, thank you. you for your fusion of psychology and chassidus. Was fascinating. Thank you you. you so much. We all have
1: stories we tell ourselves. When we find ourselves getting dysregulated or acting from a semi-conscious place, what memories rise up in our blood? Are they true? Or have we just told them to ourselves so many times that we can't help but believe them? Devore speaks about breathwork as a pathway to das, to a deep, integrated, embodied understanding of God's unified presence in our lives. Which soul is leading our moments, our days? Is it an inward sense of calm, presence, confidence, belonging? Or is it a chaotic sense of fear, fragmentation? reactivity, self-loathing. Our body is a small city. We can choose which soul leads our lives. But the godly soul cannot be forced into office. It needs to be integrated with our human reality in order to get the job done. So as DeVore said, curiosity, compassion, Awareness. What stories are you telling yourself? Daas is a slow process of change. Be gentle with yourself as you teach your bones to recognize the light.
2: Thank
1: you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find me on Instagram at Human and Holy or via email at Human and Holy at gmail.com new episodes of the podcast come out every single Sunday morning. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode and could take a quick second to leave a rating or review, it means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.